You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. The Fulham season may have ended 10 days ago, but there's still plenty to talk about. In today's podcast, we'll be giving out our awards of the season. Peter has already written down his, but Jack and I will give ours out. We're going to be revisiting our predictions from last summer. A couple of them very, very wild, to say the least. It's the final This Will Catch On of the 21-22 season. And there's plenty to be getting into as well. Uh, Peter's been diving into Fulham's data from last season. We have reaction to the championship playoff final, which we now know will be between Huddersfield Town and Nottingham Forest. And plenty in between, including some correspondence at the end. It's the regular Thursday club, but this podcast coming to you most likely on a Friday. A bit of a delay to things, but the season's over and timings are loose. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, how you doing? All good. What's good? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Are you enjoying uh, your summer break from Fulham? Although with uh, with the amount of European football and finals going on, I imagine it doesn't feel much like a, a break yet. No, it's very busy at the moment. But, um, you know, such is life, such is the way of the world. Um, I'm having a good time. I've enjoyed watching so much football. I get to go to the Conference League final in Albania next week. So that's exciting. Wonderful. Um, obviously the Europa League last week in Lisbon this weekend. No rest for the wicked, Sam. What did you make of the uh, Europa League final last uh, night? You are a Europa League man. I thought it was a fascinating game, to be honest. Two very well-matched teams. I thought, you know, Ajax probably edged it, um, but then winning it on penalties was probably about as reasonable as it got because it was two, you know, two very well-matched teams, a very high-octane encounter. Um, but yeah, just um, some, some nice stories in that Ajax side as well. So yeah, it, it was a re- really good game of football. Um, no, a lot of Rangers fans will be gutted, but um, you know, to get to that point is, is impressive in itself. And uh, ultimately, I thought just about the better team won. Former Fulham man Stephen Davis could have won it right at the end with that shot that just got tipped over. I did feel for him. And Peter Ruxton, hello. Hello, how are we doing? Yeah, good. How are you enjoying the summer break away from Fulham? I see the Athletic are still keeping you busy despite there being no matches to go to. Oh, we're ticking over, mate. We still we keep ticking over. There's plenty to plenty to sift through, plenty to get through. So um, yeah, no, it's still going, still going strong for now, anyway. Yeah. And before we do some awards from the season, I guess the breaking news in the championship this week, and it's definitely uh, a full of interest in it because uh, one of Huddersfield Town or Nottingham Forest will be our opponents in the top flight next year. Peter, it was the playoff final. I think I was expecting that Nottingham Forest versus Sheffield United was a very tight match, both on paper and what we saw on the pitch. Um, let, let's talk about that game first because it was just wild. And from a Fulham point of view, I absolutely loved just sitting there with a bucket of popcorn, just watching a really high quality end to end football match without any emotional investment. Yeah, I mean those, those camera shots to to the to the fans in the city ground. Obviously, you know, Forest not been in the Premier League for more than twenty years, and uh, they were the epitome of agony. Uh, on some of those phases um, so yeah really enjoyable to just I suppose sit and watch it and, and not have to, to worry too much um, yeah I think Forrest getting through oh, I mean Sheffield United will feel hard done by the way that second half pan, panned out and how they'd recaptured the momentum in the game and and you think well, <laughs> just thinking back to Jack mentioning the Europa League final the, the penalty shootout I mean the two shootouts with outcomes that you could see happening through your television set. You know, when Aaron Ramsey stepped up to take it, you just sort of knew, you just kind of knew he'd miss, obviously considering the time he had at Rangers and 
the commentator gave it the big I am as well about him coming in and to be the big signing. He thought, well, that's going to happen. And then obviously in the Forest game, Brisson back, who had an unbelievable game with those two massive What's saves. What a game. First, second half. And pen and the shootouts. The thing is, you just knew he was going to boss the shootout just from his, I don't know, just from his demeanour. Um, what a performance that was. So, um, yeah, I agree with you, Sammy. I think the, the final we probably expected. Who do you think um, will have the better in the final, Peter? Huddersfield or Forest? I think Forest are probably the, the neutrals choice because they haven't been to the Premier League for so long. But as we talked about, particularly Jack and I on the podcast a little while ago, Huddersfield just can't be underestimated, but they likely will by people that haven't watched the championship that closely this season. Yeah, and, you, and you'd also say that the pressure is probably on Forest a little more. Obviously, the pressure is on, on Huddersfield because they want to get to the Premier League. But because of everything else around it, because of all the noise there will be and, and the romance of Forest getting back to the Premier League, um, that's that's where everyone will be looking and that's where everyone will be backing. So, And we've seen this season how difficult Huddersfield are to play against, how much they've evolved over the season. They're very streetwise. They're a smart team now. Um It'll be a very, very tight game, I think. Um, and if, if Huddersfield can reduce the space that Forrest seemed to get against Sheffield United on the counter-attack, um, then you know I can see them, them edging it, um, which is probably, as you say, it's not the neutral's choice. Um, but I think from a Fulham perspective, you probably want Huddersfield over Forrest. Yeah, absolutely. Just because of what Forrest means in the Premier League and the appeal that can have and the, res- the resources they may throw at it. So that that's the, the Fulham angle, but yeah. Yeah, interesting. It'll be a tight game, I think. I mean, Jack, I didn't think Huddersfield were particularly impressive against Luton in that second leg. I thought Luton had the better of the game. I mean, it was quite an even one and either side could have won it. And ultimately Huddersfield got the goal and and, and they deserved it because they did manage to nick the, the, the goal at the crucial moment. But... I don't know. I was less impressed by Huddersfield than I tipped them to be. I thought they'd beat Luton quite comfortably, particularly when it ended one all at Kenilworth Road. That was the only real obstacle I saw for them was that Luton's a difficult place to go. Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing is that you, know, the, you very rarely get batterings in playoff semi-finals. Like, it just doesn't really happen. Even if you have, you know, remember when we were in the playoffs and obviously we won that game against um, against Derby, we were like a lot better than Derby that year. And yet it took some nail-biting bits and bobs for for them to get through. And I don't know, I I kind of feel this way about Huddersfield. I think they're a really nicely well-rounded team, but I can't ever see them spanking anyone. Um, And and actually, I think that maybe gives them an edge going into the final because this is, you know, as you say, a a team that, you know, works well as a whole. It, It battles hard for each other and... They have a real, real like set piece wizard in Sorba Thomas. Obviously, it's his delivery with some whip on it that you know leads to the goal. You think about what happened in that first leg with Nottingham Forest and the fact that you know that goal from Sander Berger was a free, uh, you know, a corner headed in. I got a funny feeling Huddersfield win this on set pieces. That's my big takeaway from from pretty much all of it. I reckon they might nab a goal from a corner or a free kick, and it might end one nil. Yeah, am I being mad that um, a summer bid for for Sander Berger from Fulham? Considering we might be in the uh, hunt for a for a midfield general, might not be the uh, yeah. I'd like that. I liked him a lot. I liked him a lot when he went to Sheffield United, but I think he'd cost quite a lot of money, and and maybe that's not the the immediate front. But yeah, I I, I would like Sander Berger at Fulham. I think he's a very very good footballer. Right, well, this is the Fulhamish podcast, so let's get on to some Fulham topics. And Peter. Um, at the beginning of the week, you released your club review for 2022. Every uh, club athletic writer um, has been tasked with doing a club review, obviously for quite a few clubs uh, under the athletics watch. Uh, the season isn't over, but obviously it is for Fulham, which is uh, a good thing considering it's giving Fulham such a long time to be away. And you were tasked with giving out some awards. So I thought we could go through those awards that you gave and then Jack and I can offer potential alternatives if we think it's necessary. So would you like to run through who you gave the awards to? And then Jack and I will uh, see if we agree or disagree with any of them. Well, you're definitely going to disagree with the first one, which is player of the year, which I've given to Alexander Mitrovic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. It seems, seems seems hard not to, doesn't it? 
I mean, this is a tricky one, isn't it? I almost wondered if in this article you needed a second um, player of, of the year. But yeah, okay, Alexander Mitrovic, um, Peter, is this maybe the easiest award in one of these end-of-season pieces that you've ever done? I mean, it's the most shoo-in. He's a shoo-in for the whole league. He's potentially a shoo-in for the top four leagues, given what he's achieved. Yeah, I mean, there's not much else really to add. I think, yeah, maybe if we did an unsung hero, then... I think, which we, we talked about, I think, last time as well, uh, with one of the questions that was brought in. I think that's that's a more interesting one, I think. Um, and, but yeah, it, I don't really know what to add at this point. I don't think you need to. <laughs> like, it, it speaks for itself. As in, I've been trying really hard to think about alternatives for these for the last, like, hour. And, you know, I was going to come on here and be like, look, I love Harrison Reed, Niskis Cabano, Harry Wilson's had a great year, Fabio's had a great year. But it's just dumb, isn't it? It's dumb to say any of these things in comparison with what Mitrovic has achieved this year. Um, and he'd be, you know, the first to say that, you know, no one does it on their own, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, when you score 43 goals in, in, a, in a season, there's just not much you can say, is there? Like, he's just clearly the player of the year. Yeah, um, I like that the um, the PFA uh, award nominations are coming out next week, and I'm like, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder who will be in the uh, in the championship list. Uh, best moments of the year. Now, I think we can debate this one because there's been so many. So, Peter, what did you go with? Well, I sort of, I kind of cheated, but I went, I sort of split it on field and off field. Um, by going so for on field, I went for Tom Kearney's goal when he returned against Cardiff. Um, seems a while ago now, but you know, considering how long he'd been out, the, the sense that he may not return because there was never a time frame, was there? It was always, yeah, that in, knee injury is still playing, playing up. Oh, he's got a bit worse, or he's a bit back. He's in training, he's not really training. It never, it, not that it was like he won't come back, but you just never knew when, and that just left that sense of ah, Tom Kearney, oh, yeah, forgot about him kind of thing. So when he did return um, after such a long period out and then to score in a game that was pretty tight, you know, it was quite an important goal as well. Yeah. Uh, and his emotional reaction to it, it was, um, yeah, it was a really quite a, um, a special moment. And I mean, there's been so many this year in football terms, but I think that was one to, to highlight. And then off field, of course, being when, when the players went over to Claire Parrish and, and her daughter um, after the Millwall game, um, the first time game since since the Blackpool match where uh, where Paul Parrish sadly collapsed. So um, when the, yeah, a really touching moment that um, one that was one of those gestures he didn't need to do but had such an impact because I feel as we've talked about a lot that what happened that day seems it did affect everyone at Fulham, everyone who was there, and, and everyone could relate to or knew Paul whether that would be personally or just indirectly by him being a Fulham fan. So um, yeah, those are those are my two. If that's what I um, yeah, Jack, I mean, obviously, I'm not asking you necessarily to come up with an off-field one, but yeah, on-field, best moment of the year, uh, an alternative to TC. Well, no, no, your opinion, actually. I'm not looking for necessarily an alternative if you completely agree. I loved the TC moment because it was real narrative vibes and you know how much of a, a fond fan of a narrative I am. Um, I also loved TC being the man who popped up for, for number 100, right? For turn up for the skipper. Um, that was a beautiful moment. But I think, I don't know about best, but I think my favourite moment of the year was Bobby Decordova-Reed's goal against QPR at home because we battered them in the first half. We were 1-0 up and obviously they scored almost straight away and I was like, oh God. And then obviously Mitrovic scores the second, which is great and everything's fine. But the third goal, I was like, we've done it. It's done it. It's happened again. You know, I was really kind of, you know, bear in mind that QPR game was the first game after the Coventry game. Um, and, and there was a lot of kind of jeopardy. Our oh, Fulham going to fall back into the relief, not only to beat QPR, obviously, and beat your rivals, but also to be like, it's OK. That Coventry game was a blip. It wasn't the start of a, a you know, a rotten run. All of that rolled in together. I think that was the moment I felt most elated, perhaps, aside from, you know, the obvious ones of actually winning promotion and actually, you know, winning the league. Um, they were the, they, that was the moment for me where I was like, it's happening. We're good. This is this is going to be sweet. Um, so I wanted to put that in there. I think my best moment of the year, um, aside from obviously worthy nominations there, Bournemouth away when Mitro scored. Just the jubilation 
um, in the stands, the extra feeling in the celebration because you knew that Mitrovic wanted that goal so badly and it had been, we'd been sticking it to Parker all game and there was just... I always say use the word relish in that in that celebration and stuff and the and the Fulham fans just really really enjoyed themselves on on that one. So I'm going to go for that one to throw in the pot as best moment of the year off field. I will just throw in there as well. Um the celebration with Reese Porter at Bristol City away was lovely. Not one that I actually noticed at the time because I was the other side of the stand and I didn't I knew I could see the players going to to the stand. I just assumed they were celebrating with the fans when you realize afterwards that being with Reese and just generally that whole kind of Reese Porter few weeks where he got put on the website after he'd faced so much um you know bullying and hate online and the fact they invited him to the training ground and Tim Ream kind of took him under his wing that was just a really nice moment um mostly seemingly by Ream but obviously everyone involved in the club behind the scenes in um in pulling that together it was just it was an example of a football club really doing um good things um so that'd be my also nomination for for moments of the year off the pitch as well not that it's uh, completely a competition right worst moment of the year peter the ream onoma collision at coventry i think that was um the the lowest point of that game um which was probably the lowest point of the season and probably one of the most decisive games of the season so just for the agony that sort of instilled in it um and then the reaction to it afterwards, um, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than, than a goal like that, does it? I mean, it was, it was, it was just dreadful. Um, so for me, yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's the worst one. Yeah. Um, Jack, any, any advance on that? It was obviously the worst game of the season, but there were some actually, we, we lost 10 times. I always think that's mad about this season in a season where Fulham seemingly, for us, at least if, everywhere you read is anything to go by destroyed the league there was there was 10 defeats in there some worse than others but the Bournemouth equaliser I've really struggled with I know that it didn't matter but like it was so dumb I think that's why I was so upset because like the whole thing was proper dumb like we didn't need to have the ball in that position the like the way that the build-up happens and Tosin, who's been brilliant, you know, goes flying forward for no huge reason. And then for absolute no reason, Harry Wilson takes him out. The fact that, you know, I, was, I wasn't there. We were trying to watch on the TV, but also I was getting notifications left, right and centre. My live score said the game was over at 1-0. And then suddenly it was like equalised. And I was like, what? No, how? What? Where? Why? Um, yeah, I, I really didn't enjoy that. It just felt like the moment to be like, let's go and this is it. Let's just see it off and see it off at their place and see it off in front of Parker and all of that. Yeah. That, that equalizer, I really didn't really didn't enjoy. Yeah. Um, I think the one that annoyed me at the time, Sheffield United at home was annoyingly bad. And it was a weird time of year, wasn't it? It was just before Christmas. I remember so many people couldn't go to the game because people were um, terrified of, of picking up COVID um, before Christmas. So it was a it was a sparse crowd. We'd drawn the four games before and it was this game where it was like, well, if we win tonight, then the four draws in a row don't really matter. If we lose, then this is really a bit sticky. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that old adage, isn't it? Four, four draws and a loss is five games without a win. Four draws and a win is five games unbeaten. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, we, we fell the wrong side of it. Um, it also happened in the Premier League as well. We went on a big drawing run and then lost the game. And you're like, ah, oh, this is not great. Um, ah, I'd, I'd be pained to say it was a, a terrible moment. But I remember thinking after that, I was like, oh God, are we going to... The defending was dreadful as well for their goal. Yeah, it really was. And and the attacking for the whole match also wasn't um, that much better either. And then we kind of had that annoying time over Christmas as well. So maybe that whole period actually was just a bit frustrating when everyone decided to um, call off the games and stuff. And we didn't play uh, until that Reading game, which obviously uh, turned out to be uh, pretty good in the end. Um, Peter, your next award that you gave was biggest surprise of the year. Yeah, um, that's quite an interesting one, I suppose, because um, you could read it in, in, in different ways. Um, but for me, I couldn't really look beyond Jean-Michel Serri um, just because of everyone's expectations back last summer. I mean, I don't think anyone really anticipated him to have a role, but I don't think anyone really anticipated him to be so adored as well. 
so quickly. Um, and just the whole the whole story, the fact that he played a, an, an important part in the season, um, the fact that the fans would sing his name all the time, like even when he wasn't on the pitch, it's just something you just did not see coming. Like it just, you know, if you think back to the season before where he wasn't registered in the Premier League and was playing at Sheffield Wednesday. And I think I wrote a piece after that and some of the comments were just like, oh, don't get rid kind of thing. And to, for him to have like had that kind of rehabilitation is is pretty, it's pretty, it's something. It's going, <laughs> certainly something. So uh, for me, that was the biggest surprise, uh, just how involved Sarri has been and, and how well how well loved he's become. Um, Jack? Couple, I suppose. Um, obviously, Cabano's rehabilitation, glorious. Um, really, really enjoyed that. Again, what people wondered if he had another, you know, a future in the team, given he was out on loan again last year. But that was nice. Um, I think the reaction to those first two Ivan Cavallero goals at Huddersfield away—that <laughs> yeah, was that was a pretty surprising one. Um, couple Maxime Lamarchand being a well a starter when he's fit for a team that are challenging for Europe in France in Strasbourg. Great vibes, happy days. Yeah. Um, Dennis Adoy winning two trophies in a year. Great vibes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to look past Peter's on this. It's, it's clearly the redemption story of of this season. But there have been some some nice moments as well. And I suppose not quite as much of a surprise, but just the full impact of what Fabio Carvalho has done this season. You know, and there was, there was, I think you watched last year, and for those of us that watched a little bit of unders level, there was obviously like heaps of talent there but that doesn't always translate right there's, there's, there's been lots of players who have done really well at you know unders devil and not been able to make that step up or, or struggle with that step up you look at the likes of stevie humphreys who's seen as some sort of like savior for our number nine role and just kind of didn't really do it um there's been a lot of players who've been given that hype up treatment and not made it so for carvalho to come in be you know so important and so imperative to the way that this Fulham side play and, and to have the season that he has done I think it would be you know it would be remiss to miss him out yeah I don't think I've got a, another uh, surprise that, that tops any of the ones um, were you keeping you Maxime Lamarche on for Strasbourg for yourself sorry I've probably stolen your thunder <laughs> You know me, mate. I am Strasbourg's number one fan. Um, I, I just, the mad thing about Seri, I always remember when that um, we've got Seri chant started at, at Millwall away and there felt just something so special and he was just playing with a smile on his face. And I think the question was, can he keep this up all season? And well, I guess in, in a way the answer was no, but it, it picked up towards the end of the season. And the way though that, He's been, he's adored by the fans. And then the reciprocal nature of that is what I love, I think, the most. He really loves the chance and he's always tapping on the badge and geeing up the fans. He feels part of the furniture now. And I really hope that um, he'll be a key part of the of the squad going forward. And um, Peter, there is only one that you could award the next award to. Uh, funniest moments. Yeah, um, without doubt, the uh, Mitrovic's first goal against Huddersfield. Um, I don't think in that moment anyone predicted that he would go on to have the season he'd had. And if you were going to score a goal to open your account, you would probably not choose something like that. But um, I guess it's reflective of the fact that everything he sort of touched turned to goals, as you'd say. So, um, yeah, like that. just there's so many elements to it. You know, the fact that the ball would have gone out of play, I think. It should have been a goal yeah. kick. Um, obviously, the slip. The fact that Mitrich hits his knee and it sort of loops in. Yeah, iconic. An iconic goal that shouldn't be forgotten. I just don't understand what Huddersfield were trying to do. It was all of that to avoid a throw-in on the halfway line. <laughs> the back pass to the keeper was mental. And then the keeper thinking, what's better than giving away a corner is is doing what he did. I mean, there were so many um, remarkable elements to the goal. And I think, Peter, I wasn't at Huddersfield. They even showed the replay in the stadium, didn't they? So the whole stadium knew that it'd gone out of play. So it just completely wound up the Huddersfield fans. <laughs> yeah, the full thing was shown and it didn't go down particularly particularly well. I mean, I mean, we speak of Huddersfield. I mean, in that moment, of course, they had a few injuries and... But they'd had such a, I mean, it was very early, but they'd had a poor start to the season. And I think the, the general vibe was pretty negative and negative about Corbyn and the, the turnaround they've done is, is, is really impressive. Um, they've come a long way since that, that shanked clearance. We'll come on to them in the predictions uh, revisited. <laughs> uh, Jack, any uh, notable ones for funniest moments? I, I can't think of anything that tops it. Uh, the third goal going in against us at Bramble Lane away. Um <laughs> 
yeah, it was, was just, quite amusing. They're genuine, yeah. like they're genuine. Yeah. <laughs> but just uh, like, we, we, the whole thing like just I, I've never seen a more collective shrug of the shoulders just being like and the song just ticking over from you know two nil down to three nil down who get and it's like it's like almost didn't stop and the old we've got the ball which I did enjoy yes um, we've got the ball was wonderful um, Jack we were in the same part of the ground so we can appreciate this but actually the third goal going in everyone just laughing and then there was a one guy that was between um, where you were sitting where I was sitting who was absolutely losing the plot um, calling the players every name under the sun was quite the juxtaposition yeah no I I, I mean I had a very funny time at Bramall Lane I enjoyed myself a lot I didn't watch all that much of the game as we know but um, yeah I, I think that was it was amusing to be able to be in that position wasn't it that's that's how it should be looked at yeah, exactly. Um, right, this one might provoke uh, a few different reactions. Goal of the year, Peter. Oh, yeah. yeah, goal of the year. Um, just the 106 to choose from. Yeah, 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 just a few. Um, I went for the goal against um, Swansea, the hat-trick goal for Mitrovic, um, just because of the fact that Fulham... It felt like Fulham at their best, and it felt like one of those goals that was. It was also it was a build-up goal, and we'll talk about a bit the stats in a bit. But it was also kind of in transition as well. It was one of those where they sort of caught Swansea up the field. Um, there was a lovely one-touch passing in, in, in the centre of the park, and then a doy's free and Mitrovic finishes. I thought it was sort of like Fulham at their best, you know, Fulham at their fluid best. Um, so that stands out for me. But I mean, there are so many, <laughs> so many to choose from. Jack? Um, yeah, I agree with Peter in so many ways because that was the goal. I was convinced that was the moment we were going up. Um, I loved Mitrovic's, the actual for a goal, I loved Mitrovic's first against QPR. Um, I thought that was a stunning, stunning uh, goal. At home, I assume you mean. At home. Um, but also Harry Wilson's goal against Stoke at home. Yes, this is um, what I was going to mention. Where, you know, the ball gets in, Mitrovic lays it off and he hits it first time. It's just a really beautiful team goal because he starts the move as well. He plays in Bobby Deckard over Reed, who lays it to Mitrovic. He tucks it up and Harry hits it kind of Trevella um, on the volley. Um, so that one would be in there for me as well. I think that's a really, really good goal. Yeah, I, I think the one that I'm going to go for, um, Stoke was mine with uh, with Wilson. Uh, Nico Williams away at Swansea is is an amazing goal. Um, the fact that it was, uh, I, I loved that night against Swansea. There was something uh, about it. The fact that it was a really difficult game and then we ended up winning it 5-1. The red card helped, but Nico Williams to the way he hit that, looping over the Swansea goalkeeper um all of us in the away and just had a perfect view of it where you knew from the moment it left his foot that it was uh, that it was heading in so I'm going to go for Nico Williams uh, against Swansea but god there's just so many actually you look through the season but weirdly Peter there's not like huge amounts of long-range belters to choose from it's a lot of which is great by the way yes this is lot... great things like yeah. when we score loads of long-range belters you aren't creating high quality chances on a regular basis um when you don't you are um, and that's what we said right at the start of the season it's a really good thing that we're not talking about 30 yarders all the time here because they're not sustainable but the goals that Fulham are creating are yeah absolutely XG chat I'm all for that all for that uh, high quality chances um, but e even so even so a lot of the goals were inside the penalty area were in good positions generally Fulham still massively outperformed their XG if we're talking about how like the chance the, the goals they're expected to score from the chances they created you know, they they were ruthless. And the contrast between that and obviously the Premier League, Premier League's a different league, but considering how terrible Fulham were in front of goal last year, that has been a massive change. And that's having that ruthlessness. If they can hold that in the Premier League, it'll be huge. Okay, this is the final one that we're going to do on the podcast. There are more on the article, but this still feels like the last one that we can really debate. Arguably the toughest game of the year. So obviously there's three seven nils, there's the two six twos, there's a couple of five ones in there. Peter, what did you go with? Well, I'm, I'm lucky I get first dip, so I've gone for the Luton game because I don't think the Luton game will be forgotten. Um, but you're right, there are so many games and it's, it depends what, what you want from game of the year. If, if you want a match that sums up the occasion and 
sums up the season in every possible way you'd, you'd pick Luton. Um, there was just so many different elements to it that, that came together. But, you know, if you're talking about quality, I think the, the Bournemouth game at home was really good as well. Um, and then, of course, the seven nils. Uh, the Blackburn one always will always stand out for me in my mind um, because of how, like, shocking it was <laughs> at the time. Um, and then also, I've mentioned this a couple of times before, but the Millwall game away, I think you mentioned it earlier, Sammy, with the Seri chant. Um, how well Fulham played. I don't know how that finished 2-1 because it, it absolutely destroyed Millwall. Um, yeah. That was Fabio Carvalho's breakout game for me, um, at least this season. Um, it was That was exceptional. But yes, I went for Luton. Sorry, I've sort of stolen the thunder for some of the other ones there. Sorry. No, that's <laughs> fine. It means that me and Jack have to work a little bit harder. Jack, what would you like to go with? Um, I think, well, a couple. Um, the three, you know, the, the three when you were just talking about against Swansea, um, was the game I said this before that I that was the game I I knew we we're going up. That was the game I was like, this is we're going to go up here. This is the team that yeah. can do this. Um, but I would also just like to point out the two, the six two at home to Bristol City, where Fulham came from behind twice, mm. um, and I think that was massive as well. You know, it was uh, especially because in the you know the couple of games preceding, obviously there were there were thrashings, but to come from behind twice, I thought was pretty. Stunning and, and obviously to score five goals in the first half. Um, madness. Um, and actually, we didn't even talk about this, but Niskan's Cabano scored one of the best goals of the season that day yeah, as well. Yeah, actually, um, that's bad. That's, should that's have bad been we... in the conversation. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the feeling of coming from behind to go and do that was just absolutely sensational, wasn't it? Like, that was the moment you were like, wow, this team are good. Wow. Um, and, and, and that was a pretty remarkable one. So yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in the conversation. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my one, I'm going to go for a slightly different tack. I will go for Middlesbrough away. Um, I think it was, well, we said at the time, it was our toughest game of the season. In Obviously, in hindsight, Middlesbrough haven't done as well as I think any of us thought they were going to. And actually, maybe after we went to the Riverside, it really lost its fortress tag and quite a few teams went up to the Riverside and, uh, and got good results there, which maybe made our results seem a little less remarkable. But at the time... We were, they were several months unbeaten at the Riverside. The first half was a, a cauldron-like atmosphere that Fulham kind of had to deal with and just about did. We got a few lucky breaks, a few desperate last-minute blocks um, to save Middlesbrough scoring and then a beautiful set-piece um, from uh, Wilson and, and Mitrovic. The, the run from Mitrovic was exceptional. The header, the leap was was incredible and, and as a, an away day as well. Well, to go there and get that win it was the day that you knew Fulham were not just going up we're going up as champions and look a lot of people will say they knew Fulham were champions before that but that was the one for me where I was like there's no way um, that Fulham won't be even if we imploded which we kind of did after that game um, but even then it still wasn't uh, enough to, to stop us uh, lifting the title so that would be my one uh, the rest of the awards that Peter gave are available on the Athletic quote of the year gift of the year piece that Peter enjoyed writing most this year as well and you can read that piece right now at theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod right we're going to take a break there we're going to dive into some of Fulham's data and we're going to revisit our prediction part two of the fulhamish podcast sammy james here with jack collins and peter rutzler another piece that you can read on the athletic right now uh, peter released this yesterday uh, it's one in collaboration with john muller peter and it's diving into fulham's data this season uh, headlined how Silvers Fulham were the Manchester City of the championship. Uh, and in a nutshell, Peter, this piece just uh, <laughs> slams home that Fulham were pretty good uh, this season, not just uh, in terms of the amount of wins and goals they notched up, but their style of play on the pitch. Yeah, I, yeah, it does. In, uh, in, <laughs> in a few more words than that, I think. Um, it's, it's, it's quite interesting, this piece, just delving into Silver's style of play a little bit more. Um, Piecing, pulling together some of the influences and um, and also how you ended up with a team that was so so ruthless. And we mentioned ruthlessness before. We don't really touch on that too much. Um, and it's it's more a question of looking at how they play, how they score the goals, um, how the fact that they're able to be a team that's dominant in possession, but also pretty pretty good uh, on the counter attack as well, and pretty good in transition. Um, and 
as part of the piece, you've got uh, John Muller, who's uh, one of our data guys. He's a fantastic, fantastic follower as well. So you should definitely follow him on Twitter and see the stuff he's produced. He produced this, uh, uh, he's called it a Playstyle Wheel, uh, which was actually built for this piece. And he's done one for all the Premier League teams now and all the championship teams. It's a wheel that breaks down uh, different elements to Fulham's play um, using using some data. It's weighted against championship teams for the past uh, three years, I think, four years. Um, and uh, you get a real sense of just how good they've been in that context. Um, and yeah, and through the piece, you've got Marcus Silva, Marco Silva's thoughts, um, a few questions that I'd asked in presses about how he wants his team to attack. Some, some interesting quotes too as well in that, especially regarding build-up play you know he talks about if I can if we can reach the opposition's penalty area in two or three passes why, why do we need to make 10 um and that's sort of reflected in the data and it's it's um it was quite good to really delve into it as well in terms of how different players are important the importance of center halves the ball playing center halves in, in Tosin and Tim Ream what that actually means in practice um what why Fabio Carvalho was so important He's going to be so difficult to replace. You can see how dominant he was in that sort of left half space, um, almost like a Guardiola-esque free eight. And, and there, is a, there is a city element running through this whole piece. Um, you know, Silva spoke warmly about Manchester City. He, he says they're the best team in this country and this is the best competition in the world, so therefore possibly the world. And you can see how his style of play, that positional style of play, and we talk a little bit what, about what that is and it's, on a, it's basically trying to find space using the ball, moving opposition sides and picking opposition blocks using the ball. Um, and that's sort of illustrated. And that, that city theme, that city influence um, really actually comes across um, in the piece. So uh, it's definitely worth reading. Uh, I would recommend, obviously, I'm biased. But, um, but yeah, I'm sure Jack will talk a little bit more about positional playing stuff. Yeah, I mean, I thought the the really, really intriguing thing here was, you know, my favourite part of this article is the way that it's, Shows Fulham's three seasons in the championship um, under Jukanovic, and then Parker, and then and now under Marco Silva. And what we can see under Jukanovic is lots of build up, sure, um, but lots of transitional football as well. Um, not quite as high as this year, but not bad at all. Although far less use of set pieces. Um, and then you come across to Scott Parker's side, and their build up play. You know, nearly as good as Jukanovic is sure. Um, and then you look at kind of progressive passes, and all of that goes up under under Scott Parker. But that transitional, that direct element comes right back down, um, and the defensive ability comes right back down as well. And then you go to this season; those transitions are right back up into the air. Um, and I think this is massive. I think this is incredibly important if Fulham are going to survive next season because. You know, look, we've already heard from Parker, and you know, the quotes are at the bottom of this piece. It says, you know our philosophy isn't going to change. So we're not going to have the possession in the territory that we have this year, but we are going to try and play football. We are going to try and, you know, hit people on, you know, where, where it hurts. And ultimately that's going to be so important next year. And I tweeted off the back of this piece, um, you know, that I do think it's really important Fulham to play transitioning next season, to be able to use those direct abilities. And, you know, we talked about that Swansea goal, right? And we talked about those, some of the, the, the things we've seen for, from this Fulham side this year and being able to hit teams really quickly on those changes. Tosin being able to pick a pass to Harry Wilson over the top. We saw that as a goal, you know, a couple of goals this season in, in those exact cadences. And, and, and when you kind of bring that back, what we're looking at is a team that needs to be able to adapt to next year. We've talked about this already. Winning the, winning the championship is a good start. But it doesn't mean everything. You look at Norwich last year and they won the championship at Canter and then couldn't adapt to the Premier League. So I feel like we're going to need to adapt. Um, and I do think the fact that we're so good in transition this season and the ability to make things happen in those in those kind of spaces and also Mitrovic's newfound ability to to drop in, to create spaces, to you know become a player who people can work off is huge. Um, and, and that's what really intrigued me about this. So it's going to be a big summer, obviously, in terms of recruitment and building up players who can play in that style. Um, but also, it, it, we're in a good place here. And it feels like you know, this is the best side we've had in a long time. Obviously, we, we won the championship with it. Um, but it, it feels like we're working towards a system that might well translate into Premier League football as well. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic piece, um, Peter. So interesting uh, as well, getting all the data. It's exactly what you want from from The Athletic. High quality analysis um, on Fulham. And, you know, I learned so much and all about the style of play that, that Fulham execute. You talked about um, Tosin and Ream being so important, but even just some of the build-up play and things that you don't necessarily notice in the, in the heat of the battle of the match, the way that Fulham um, use triangles and stuff moving forward and, and are so um, meticulous in their attacking play and, and that was what was missing so much under Scott Parker and when you see those data wheels and stuff uh, as Jack said that compare the last three championship promotion seasons it's really there in black and white for all to see if you want to read this piece as I mentioned theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod uh, it, it really is a fantastic read uh, from Peter and from John Muller. Right then, uh, we're going to have a look back at some of our pre-season predictions and uh, see how they went. This is one of those things that doesn't end well for any of us, but if you put out predictions, you've got to review them uh, and you have to take them on the chin uh, with with what came. So uh, can you guys remember um, put, putting these predictions together or are you completely in the dark? I remember saying I thought that QPR were going to come second. I think I said Fulham would win the league and QPR would come second. I think, oh no, I, said, I think I originally said QPR would win the playoffs. Mm. Um, and then I doubled down on it in January. I don't actually think the first call was that bad, but I think the double down in January was awful. <laughs> That's my take. Well, I will reveal, I had listened back through um, this episode uh, a couple of days ago and I'll reveal what we said and uh, how uh, true it came. So first of all, position that Fulham would finish in the league this season. Jack and Peter, congratulations. You both said Fulham to finish top of the division. So uh, you did well. I am the only one with a bit of egg on my face. I said that we'd finish second. You have little faith. Yeah, that's okay. That's natural pessimism. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I felt like I was doing it for all of our sakes because if Fulham didn't finish first and we all said first, I felt, I felt like I had to take one for the team here. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right, mate. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. Right. We then went for player of the season. Now we know that Alexander Mitrovic is player of the season in all regards. I haven't seen any official... Fulham player awards yet, Peter? Are they are they happening? Are we not bothering? Or is it? Just I assume we're not having a bus a, a bus either. No, they've definitely confirmed there's no bus parade. Um, I've seen that um, kind of going around on on Twitter. What's the point? What's the point of any of it? We had our moment against Luton. I don't think we needed a bus parade. Bus, bus, bus. Um, Peter, any word on the player of the season awards? Have you heard anything? Uh, no idea. No idea. No idea. Okay. Well, for, we said. Uh, Jack said Fabio Carvalho to be player of the season. Now, what I like here, Jack, is you actually predicted um, what Fabio Carvalho would do this season. You said that he would have 32 games, eight goals and 12 assists. That's not bad, you know. He had 33 starts, 10 goals and eight assists. Yeah, I'll take that. That's a pretty spot on prediction, mate. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Peter, you said that the player of the season would be Kenny Tete. And uh, your quote was, <laughs> if he can avoid injuries, I think he will be a really important player. So I feel like... That's a good caveat. I, I mean, it was a good caveat. I still don't think he'd have been player of the season, though, if he'd have been fit. No, definitely not. Definitely not, unfortunately. I went for what I thought was quite a safe choice at the time, Harrison Reed. None of us went for Alexander Mitrovic as player of the season. I don't know if we were just worried about falling into the obvious trap. but Maybe, yeah. Well, was yeah. his future wasn't necessarily clear at that point when we did that pod. Yeah, it was before it was still that, started. There was still that offer on the table from Moscow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, hadn't signed his new contract, so... No, he was just about to sign his uh, new contract. And I think it maybe just goes to show that, you know, Mitro's goal return kind of now seems obvious, but... At the time, I don't think that we necessarily thought he would do what he did. And, you know, we talked about bigger surprise of the season and I nearly mentioned it. That, like him scoring 43 goals is a massive, massive surprise. You know, he scored 26 in the championship the season before. To up it the way he did is still remarkable. I think we take it for granted because we've known for so long that he was going to break this record. Mm. Yeah, 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 I get you. Um, 
On that subject, we then put our third category as second top scorer, because I think we knew that Alexander Mitrovic was likely to be the top scorer. So we did predict that one correctly. We all said Harry Wilson. Yeah, although I think I was quite down on him. You did. If I'm not You're... mistaken, I said that he'd get, I think he said he'd get nine, did I? Yeah, you said, I think Harry Wilson will be incredibly inconsistent and frustrating, but will score nine goals. I think he'll be a well-liked Andre Schurler. <laughs> to be honest, I think at that time, that was probably quite kind for me. I had a real sickener that Harry Wilson was going to be a better version of Anthony Knockhart. Um, I just watched so much of him shooting from distance and I was like, stop that, please. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's um, I'm, I'm really glad that I was wrong. I'm really glad that I was wrong. I, I mean, he wasn't the most consistent performer. Um, there was There is a, a rumour still to this day that Harry Wilson has never had a good game against a team that he played for before. <laughs> Can you remember? <laughs> he was bad against Derby. He was bad against Bournemouth. You know, it was he was bad against Cardiff. It, you know, it really was. It really was. The um, the Harry Wilson doesn't play well against clubs he's previously played for. Um, but well, can't wait for the Liverpool games next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bench him already. Bench him for those ones. <laughs> yeah. um, Peter, you were spot on with Harry Wilson because you also said, I think he'll get double digits. And he scored exactly 10 goals. So uh, you can definitely chalk that one down uh, as a win. I'm surprised he hasn't scored any free kicks. And the set, I mean, Fulham haven't scored any free kicks at all which is yep. considering the free kick takers. because we won't let Niskan's Gabano have them. No. That's why. <laughs> That's why. Mitrovic took one. one Justice for Niskan's. Yeah. Um, yeah. I expected at least one from Wilson, mainly because I've written a piece about Harold, Harry Wilson, and, you know, you know, learnt to, to strike free kicks so well. He had, an, he had an amazing record. I don't think it's so good now. So uh, maybe that one won't be shared again, but we'll see. Yeah. He's saving it for the Premier League. He knows where the uh, he knows where the views are in this section. Um, just to, to rinse myself, I did say I wonder if there will be a Cavalera revolution. Um, which uh, I mean, to be fair, he was injured for lots of it, so there might have been. Considering his goal record per game is actually pretty decent. Yeah, he played about three games and he scored twice, <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I remember when he kind of came back in February, I think, or March, and and I thought, oh, maybe we're going to see a little um, Cavalero late season flourish, but then he never really got those opportunities again off the bench. I thought he'd have been a decent option occasionally, but uh, I think he's really struggled for fitness with fitness this season. Uh, our next category was other automatic promotion side because we oh, all no. said that Fulham would finish uh, in the top two. Jack, you went for Sheffield United, as did you, Peter. Yeah, I really like the Sheffield United side. I was really convinced that they were going to be good, especially under Jokanovic. I mean, I remember going on BBC Radio Sheffield at the start of the season when they employed Jokanovic and being like, it's going to be a Fulham Sheffield United 1-2. And uh, and on the last day at Bramble Lane, we're all going to have a party with he. Um, which, to be fair, the last part did turn out to be true. Yes. Um, but not in quite the, the the way that they planned. So... Yeah, I mean, Peter, pre-season, there really was so much chat uh, in this about Fulham, Sheffield United, West Brom. Um, we really didn't rate Bournemouth too highly in this podcast. In fact, there is a quote from Jack that said, Bournemouth are going to finish ninth, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you were joking. I was joking, but equally, I thought that they would be playoffs at best, so fair play to them. They have they have overdone my expectations. Yeah, round we went, of applause. We went, we went very parachute heavy, didn't we? I remember. Yeah, it was very much West Brom, Sheffield United, West Brom, Sheffield United. Maybe there must have been there must have been some reticence about West Brom, considering it's Valerian Ishmael. Yeah, I think there was. I mean, Sammy had Sammy didn't Sammy didn't put them in, did you, Sam? Who did you put as number one? Because you said Fulham were going to be two. I said that QPR would win the league. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even remember this until you told me. Um, excellent. I, was, I just, I, and I listened to the section as well and I said, oh yeah, you know, they've got a good squad. They, but I, I, and I brought up how they had such a brilliant second half of the championship season in the season that we came down. And I said, Mark Warburton's a great manager. The yeah. only thing that is the saving grace for QPR is that up until February, they were in the automatic promotion race. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. And then they became injuries FC. Yeah. Like they, they literally have about fifteen players out. Um, I do think that they are they were potentially a little bit unlucky not to have been in the playoffs. And if they had been with a full squad, I think they probably would have been in the mix. 
Yeah, so playoff winners, uh, Jack, you said QPR. Peter, you said uh, West Brom. One thing, Peter, that you did correctly predict the future on with regards to QPR is you said, do QPR have the depth to cope with an injury crisis? So uh, The answer is no, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, And I said Sheffield United for playoff winners. I feel like I came closest because they at least made the playoffs uh, on that one. But out in the semifinals, they went. Uh, The final one was strong tips for relegation. (laughs) I think you can all see where this one's going. Um, Jack said Huddersfield. Uh, And I quote... This is amazing. They brought in Jordan Rhodes, who used to be a cheat code at this level, but hasn't scored for two million years. Um, yeah. He scored in the semi-finals. He scored the winner in Wembley. To be fair, though, he hadn't scored in two million years before this game, uh, before this year. So there is that to, to consider. Um, but yeah, no, that was a bad call. I'm, I'm, well, I'm well aware of it. Um, Peter, you said Reading, which was a good call because they were very, very close. And without maybe a points deduction for Derby, um, they would have been extremely close to the drop zone. One that you didn't quite get as right was Blackburn Rovers. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that was because of the loans. Yeah. Because, yeah, uh, yeah they, their squad was changed. But yeah, they did all right. They came from, they became Ben Brereton Diaz FC, didn't they? So. They did. Well, well and, and you listened to the concerns about Blackburn and you said, well, they haven't brought in any loans, which they hadn't. And they then brought in players like Van Heck, who obviously was amazing for them, apart from the one game he decided to Kung Fu kick Harry Wilson. Um, and also... Um, we were worried about Adam Armstrong going. Little did we know that Ben Brereton Diaz was lurking on the left wing, ready to score um, 20 goals before Christmas. I didn't actually say anyone on the episode for relegation. So I've got out of this one uh, kind of scot-free, really. But yeah, there are... Um, I, I don't think we've done too badly there. We've each had a little bit of a stinker in our own way. But I think ultimately... We said that Fulham would get automatic promotion and we were correct. It wasn't the boldest of calls, of course, but when you listen back, though, I think the most interesting thing is how we bigged up those other two relegated sides and how they struggled. Yes, Sheffield United made the playoffs, but not in the way that we would have assumed um, they did. And, and West Brom had such a tough season, so certainly not a, a a given that Fulham were going to get top two. Um, and yeah, it was an interesting listen to uh, hear us bright eyed uh, back in August, uh, not knowing uh, the season that we were about to embark on. Right. We'll have another break there afterwards. We just got a bit of correspondence and then this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter. This will catch on in a second, but first of all, just got one email uh, to read you here from Matt Roberts. He says, hello team, hope you're enjoying the off season. Not sure how many podcasts you'll be doing before a well-earned break. Two is the answer I'll mention at the end of the podcast. Um, We're obviously all hoping that we can establish ourselves in the Premier League and enter a new era, putting the back and forth Premier League championship years behind us. With that said, I have a lot of fond memories from our recent successful championship campaigns. And I started thinking about my best championship 11 from the three promotion seasons, which was 17-18 under Jukanovic, 19-20 under Parker, and then 21-22 under Silva. The hardest thing was probably the loyalty I feel to a lot of players, such as Adoy, Brian, Cabano, Reed, Deckard Overreed, and Johansson all miss out, unfortunately. Um, and choosing the manager between Jukanovic and Silva was not that easy either. Anyway, Here's mine, and he wonders how we see it. So I thought that I would read out Matt's team and just see if either of you, particularly you, Jack, as you obviously remember all three of the seasons, um, have any disagreements with with what Matt said. So in goal, he's gone for Rodak, um, which I think kind of makes sense. Yeah. He's gone for a back four of Ryan Fredericks, Tosin, Tim Ream, and Matt Target. He's gone for uh, a midfield five, if you will, um, of, of Kevin McDonald, Tom Kearney in the middle. Um, you've got Carvalho um, in the attacking mid, Wilson on the right, Sessignon on the left, Alexander Mitrovic up top. That's pretty obvious. And then Marco Silva as manager. Are there any changes that you would make uh, to this team? I thought it was a pretty strong team. I'd have Steph in there. Steph, I, I, I'd have Johansson in there because... Instead of... Probably Fabio. I'd br- I'd put the three Musketeers <laughs> back together. I'll be honest. Um, and what then? Go Kearney as ten. Yeah, put Kearney back in the ten. Prime Kearney. I assume we got right. Um, yeah, I mean, but, in, yeah. in fact, um, Matt says he actually prefers seven, sixteen, seventeen Kearney, but he can't break his own rules. Yeah. Um, no, that's fair enough. Um, 
yeah, I'd probably have TC, K Mac and um and Steph in the middle. Apart from that, yeah, it's probably about right. And I might have Cabano in ahead of Seth. That's potentially unpopular. Um mm. but I think Cabano's been absolutely crucial to two promotions and Seth was crucial to one. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna I go Cabano on the left wing. Okay. Um, interesting. So, so yeah, that's probably it. I thought it was a fairly solid choice. Uh, the one that's interesting here, Ryan Frederick's out of contract this summer, which I had not noticed. I don't know if he's due to sign uh, at West Ham. He's I, not, I don't, no. Um, so um, I know that... Right I also back, wouldn't bring him back. Would you not? No. Surely a good option. We don't really play that same way anymore. Right? We don't spend the entire time trying to get to the byline. Um, I, would, I would rather have Nico Williams than Ryan Frederick's. Okay. Interesting. Well, thank you, Matt. I, I don't think I can massively um, disagree um, with with your side. The only one that I will say is that I do think 17-18 Bettinelli was a good keeper. It yeah, didn't... he did. He was, but then Rodak did two promotions, didn't he? Yeah. So you've got to kind of give him the, the due. I, I, you know what? I, I think I'd also have Joe Bryan. Hmm. I've, 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 I've been mulling this over in my head. What, uh, Matt, Matt Target? Yeah, I love Matt Target, but he literally was here for six months. Like, what would you have? Nineteen twenty, Joe Bryan, presumably. Yeah, I'd have nineteen twenty, Joe Bryan, and especially what he did. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Joe Bryan would have to go in there. I'm afraid. That's okay. yeah. I like I like Target loads, right? I think he's brilliant, but I don't know if you can have a player who's only here for six months in this team. I, I think, think so. that's fair. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Right, uh, let's do a couple of this will catch ons. This is the final this will catch on of the season. We're going to do the chart of this will catch on uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, we're going to ask the Fulhamish community uh, to vote uh, their top five this will catch ons, and we'll replay them all uh, in the final podcast of the season, which is going to come out in a couple of weeks. But this is the final opportunity uh, for people to give a new entry. Our five. <laughs> so, um, first of all, we've got Ben Mogridge who said, we've been trying to get this going home and away for the last few weeks of the season. <laughs> Definitely ca- Do you? Definitely yeah. caught on in our carriage coming back from Bournemouth and Sheffield United and at the Fox and Hounds after Luton at home. However, haven't been able to replicate this at a ground so far. Easily doable, in my opinion. Enjoy. Uh, I feel like I need to read the lyrics and then I'll play you the song, which is, Parker said that Mitro's shite. Now he's fucking dynamite. 20 million down the drain. Alex Mitro scores again. And you will hear from the recording how the tune goes. Yeah. Is this the one you thought, Jack? It is what I thought. Um, I met Ben and Co. walking back from Sheffield United and decided to yell this across the road at them. So we had some good fun. With okay. It. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think this will just catch on. Like, yeah. I think it's it's just like one of those things that will just happen. So I'm I'm glad it got a play out because I think it'll it'll go. It's the kind of thing that will only ever go on an away day. Like you can't imagine the Hammersmith end singing it but it might go really well on an away day next year. So there we go. That's, that would be my take on the matter. It, it, I think it's good. I just thought when I read the lyrics to this, that it was a different tune. That was the only thing. And um, Bournemouth have the Dom Solanke scores again. Parker yeah. said the meet. That's what I thought the tune was. So I was quite surprised when I actually heard the recording because I thought, and, and it does scan well with the, uh, with the other arrangement, but look, Ben is I the like, composer here. I like Ring of Fire as a tune, so I'm happy. Yeah, any Johnny Cash always goes well. Right, uh, two more. This one from Martin Lee said, I thought I'd put some words to the song Part of the Union, which I wrote uh, a few <laughs> months ago. I'm hoping you might find it worthy of a review for the It Could Catch On segment of the show. Here's to a successful premiership campaign next season. You whites, and that's from Martin Lee. Martin Lee is old school. He calls it the premiership and he's gone for part of the union as a song. So I will get your thoughts after this. Admit that what I am. I say it outright, Chelsea is shite. Yes, I am a full of men. 
When we meet down by the Thames To cheer Marcus Silver's gems We stand as one day or night And the rise of the black and white Oh, you don't get me on part of the Fulham You don't get me on part of the Fulham You don't get me on part of the Fulham Till the day I die Till the day I die so when Martin sent this in to begin with, um, I started listening to this song. It's by Straubs, and I really like it. Um, and I just really like the song. So I'm just really pleased to hear it on here and hear it actually sung. Um, yeah, I think it's good. I, I, I think it's good. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to catch on because I don't think that many people know the song. Yes. Um, but I really like it. So I'm, I'm going to give it a nine. Um, just because I think it's good fun. Uh, Peter, are you aware of the Straubs? No, not new for me. It's just Straubs, Sammy. It's not the Straubs. Thank you. Oh, okay. Sorry. If they're um, part yes. of that, they're going to be part of that. Like people wear, you know, like uh, clips and stuff and arcade fire. People are always like, oh, the arcade fire. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, none of that, please. Sorry, my bad. I'm a, I'm a musical heathen. Um, the only Straubs I know, there was a, there was a horrible nightclub in Leeds that's the end of the Otley Run. That was called Straubs. What about um, Harry Bow? Harry Bow, I was going to say. That's, that was the only thing that came to my mind. Oh, yeah, I guess. That makes sense. Um, anyway, I, I enjoyed it, Martin. It was a classic... Recording in the uh, understairs cupboard, uh, so that the family can hear it. Yeah, yeah um, which which I enjoy. The final one today on this will catch on, and the final this will catch on of the season goes to Tim Miller. He says, hi, Fulhamish. What a joy it is to be a Fulham fan right now. He's written this a few weeks ago. Promotion may be in the bag, but we'll need to start thinking about next year, which is why I've come up with a This Will Catch On special, imploring the club to sign Nico Williams. It's written to the magnificent tune of Blondie's Maria. (laughs) Just play it. it. He says, if you make it to the chorus, no guarantees there, you'll discover that this is already catch on, albeit in the wrong key. Yes, it involves both a solo and he's obviously roped in a few friends to sing the chorus. Um, It's magnificent. Here we go. He moves like he don't care. Smooth as silk, cool as air. Ooh, he makes you want to sing. And assist in every game. And your heart beats like a subway train. Ooh, he's a crossbar king. Ooh, he sits upon the throne. Wanna make him all our own? Oh, Nico. it was going so well (laughs) i was i was having such a good time such a good time Benny roped roped in his mates I'm not sure the mates are behind it no I don't think their hearts are in it it was so good the solo was exceptional (laughs) beautifully in key I can't even I couldn't even tell what the words were I I feel I feel let down I'll be honest I feel let down I love that song so much as well that was like it got to a real point of this is great and then it all just went downhill such a shame isn't it Honestly, I feel like we're 3-0 up and just lost 4-3. <laughs> the best analogy going. All right, well... Um, I Ray... genuinely got it, dear. I don't, I don't know what to say. Well, so you're going to say 10 out of 10 for the verse and 0 out of 10 for the chorus? Yeah, legit. <laughs> like, just, uh, just, I want to re-record in key. He did, say, he did say the chorus is in the wrong key. Yeah, okay, fine, but... <laughs> I need, I, you know, this, this is not the commitment we need on this will catch on. 
Well, um, Tim, thank you for sending it in. Maybe next season uh, Tim, you can... Tim, uh, thank, thank you for your bit. Your bit was great. <laughs> I loved your bit, Tim. Just sack off your mates. Sack off your mates. <laughs> they've, got, they've got... I'm afraid they've got to go. Go solo. Ditch the band. Go solo. Trust your, trust your instincts. Yeah. It's Robbie Williams ditching Do the take Robbie, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Thank you very much for listening today. Uh, on next week's podcast, uh, something a little bit different. We're going to do something called the Fulhamish Annual, and this is going to be a review of the season, um, looking back at what we said throughout the season right here on the podcast. So I'm going to be narrating it. We've taken kind of interesting bits from throughout the season's podcasts. And the idea really is just to give a snapshot of what was being said, what the feeling was at the particular times throughout the season. And given that it was such a, an amazing season for Fulham, but there were ups, there were downs. Um, I really hope that you enjoy it. We've interspersed it with a bit of music, some commentary uh, as well. The old um, this will catch on. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of this will catch ons in there as well. So I really hope that it can be something uh, that you can enjoy throughout the summer, something a little uh, more uh, evergreen uh, for you to listen to. So that's going to be out this Thursday and then the week after that myself, Peter and Jack are going to try and reconvene. The playoff final would have been done by then. We'll know who's staying up and going down in the Premier League and we're going to do the chart of this will catch on. The top five this will catch on from the season as voted by the Fulhamish community on Telegram. Uh, so we can't wait to be back with you for one more pod and that should be out kind of the the Platinum Jubilee week, end of May, early June. So um, that's what's happening on the podcast for the next couple. Thank you to my guest today, Peter. Thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. And Jack, thank you. No, thank you very much, Sammy. It was uh, lots of fun. We've had a great year. What a great season. What a great year at the Thursday Club. And one more still to go. It's the penultimate Thursday Club of the season. So have a great couple of weeks, boys. And uh, yeah, enjoy your weekend. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.